Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about empowering couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. I'm Kristen Cornett, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of an online fertility practice called Tiny Feet. I work with women and couples all over the world to optimize their health and fertility so they can build the families they've always dreamed of. You can learn more about me on my website at tinyfeet.co. Thanks so much for tuning in with me this week. Before we get started, I want to invite you to check out a couple of free resources that can help you move forward on your fertility journey. First is my free Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant quiz, which will ask you about common symptoms in five areas of health that are foundational to fertility, as well as provide you with some practical tips on how to get started improving your health in each area. Next is the free mini course on how to choose the best prenatal supplements, which walks you through the specific nutrients you need to support your fertility and a healthy pregnancy, and how to find high quality supplements to meet your needs. And lastly, if you're interested in working with me one-on-one to get to the root cause of your fertility struggles and heal your body through functional medicine, you can schedule a 20-minute phone consult with me. You can find links to each of these free resources through the link in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 90, and today I'm going to be interviewing certified women's health coach and author of Fix Your Period, Nicole Jardim, about how to get to the root cause of PMS and PMDD so you can balance your cycle and support your fertility. Although having unpleasant symptoms around your period might not seem like a big deal, considering most of us have experienced PMS at one time or another, these symptoms actually do provide an important window into the health of your menstrual cycle and, by extension, your fertility. PMS and PMDD symptoms can also disrupt your life and cause you to dread the second half of your cycle, which is really no way to live when these issues are so addressable. So whether you're actively trying to conceive or you just really want to improve the health and ease of your cycle with PMS and PMDD, this episode is a must listen. Nicole is going to teach you what PMS and PMDD are and how they're different from one another why women who are trying to conceive need to pay special attention to PMS or PMDD symptoms, the main driving forces behind PMS and PMDD and which body systems tend to be the most out of balance with these conditions, what you can do to address the root causes of your symptoms and get your cycle and fertility back on track, and when you should consider seeking out support from a practitioner. So I'll go ahead and introduce you to Nicole and we can get started on the interview. Nicole Jardim is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. Her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many more. Rather than treating problems or symptoms, Nicole treats women by addressing the root cause of what's really going on in their bodies and minds. She passionately believes that the fundamentals to healing any hormonal imbalance lie in an approach that addresses the unique physiology of every woman. This is essential to reclaiming and maintaining optimal health and vitality at any age. Nicole is the author of Fix Your Period, Six Weeks to Banish Bloating, Conquer Cramps, Manage Moodiness, and Ignite Lasting Hormone Balance, and the co-author of The Happy Balance, a recipe book filled with over 80 hormone balancing recipes. Finally, she's the co-host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes, and has been called on as a women's health expert for sites 
such as The Guardian, Well and Good, Mind Body Green, and Healthline. You can find links to Nicole's website, book, and her free period quiz through the link in this week's episode description. Enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome, Nicole Jardim. Thank you so much for joining me today on Mastering Your Fertility. I'm excited to have you. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so, so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Absolutely. I can't wait to share your new book with everybody on the podcast, but let's start off with a little bit about you and your story and how you became known as the period girl. I know. I still kind of laugh at that because it was totally by accident. Um, Well, I feel like this whole career was totally by accident. I used to work in film and TV production. That was my dream job. And uh, yeah, I somehow fell into this, but it really goes way, way back. I was one of those teenagers who had terrible periods and my mom also had terrible periods. So it was kind of a generational thing. And we uh, you know, I would I was suffering through terrible periods as a teenager when she was going through a terrible perimenopause time. <laughs> it was really fun stuff in our house at that time. And I remember, you know, having really painful periods, pain that would last for days, and I would basically see stars. I was in so much pain oh. during the beginning of each period. And then I remember too that they were super heavy and uh, you know, to the point where I was leaking through clothing and I was constantly changing pads or tampons and it was just generally a mess. I was certainly one of those people who hated my period so, so much and wished it would go away and never come back. And then funnily enough, uh, when I was about 16 or so, my period did start to go away. <laughs> I started not having a period for like three or four months at a time. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is, this is not so bad. You know, I can live with this. But then when it came, it would just come and it, I would bleed for ages. And I was like, okay, I, got, I cannot live like this anymore. So I finally went and saw a gynecologist and she immediately wrote a prescription for the birth control pill, which thrilled me at the time because of course I didn't want my period and I didn't want the period that I had. So she was promising me a period that was completely different. And I thought, okay, sign me up. So anyways, I went on the pill and I did indeed get that promised period. (laughs) And I remember, you know, having it every 28 days and it would be like three or four days long and I had no more cramps anymore and it wasn't heavy and my moods were stable. And, and then a couple of years in, I started to experience a whole host of period or pill related side effects that you know re- ranged from chronic yeast and urinary tract infections to hair loss to melasma all over my face to terrible gut health issues and just generally feeling sick all the time. So yeah, <laughs> I could not win. And I finally, I went and saw an acupuncturist because nothing or no one in conventional medicine was able to help me address all of these, what I felt were seemingly unrelated problems. So yeah, went to this acupuncturist and he was the first person who ever said to me in many years that the pill might be behind a lot of these issues. And at first I was like, dude, no way, you know, but <laughs> eventually it started to make sense when he explained it to me. And that was how I came off of the pill and began this journey of relearning how to like my period and understand how periods work and hormones and endocrine systems and things like that. And, and that was what led me to doing the work that I do today. Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting what you mentioned about 
experiencing a lot of these symptoms after you'd already been on the pill for a couple of years. And I think that's one of the things that kind of prevents women from making the connection between hormonal birth control and some of the symptoms they're experiencing. Because you can have, especially if you have a situation like yours where you're really struggling with your natural period, going on the pill can feel like an amazing honeymoon period for the first couple of years that you're on it before symptoms start to pop up. And I see a lot of that too with like certain dietary changes, particularly when women like go vegan and they feel amazing because they cut out dairy and they were super sensitive to it. And then it takes a couple of years for problems to start to crop up. So I think that's just an important point to make that um, the lack of education that we receive around our menstrual cycles and the lack of education that we receive around how birth control actually works is problematic because then we aren't able to make those connections as easily when symptoms do start to pop up. Oh, I could not agree with you more. And I think that that's really the inherent problem is the disconnection from our bodies. uh, Generally speaking, I had, I was that girl who would go to the doctor and I had no idea when my last period was when they asked me. So I would make up a date. And that was how I was for years. I was completely clueless. And I often joke that I would take my body to the doctor. Like I kind of take my car to the mechanic when there's something wrong because I have no idea what's going on with it and I'm really hoping that they can figure it out and fix it. And that was truly how I lived my life. And that of course is the antithesis of what I do now, (laughs) but you know, it takes time to figure these things out. And certainly I feel like we all could do with a healthy dose of period education and literacy. Well, and you've given that to us. So tell us a little bit about the book. What inspired you to write it? And what can women expect from Fix Your Period? Yeah, you know, I was, first of all, I was terrified to write a book. I will say this. I I definitely hesitated for many years. (laughs) I remember my agent reached out to me years ago. She had connected with me through another friend who uh, she was also a book agent for. And she was like, hey, so do you want to write this book? I mean, I feel like you have a book here with what you've been doing all this time. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, maybe. But I eventually, you know, eventually I did. But I really felt like I procrastinated because writing a book is the most insane process. It is definitely not good for your hormones (laughs) or your menstrual (laughs) cycle. (laughs) My goodness. And um, you know, but I, but I was so driven to do this because I have, I get emails as I'm sure you do too, Kristen, from women all over the world who are struggling and desperate for help or just for someone to listen to them, hear what they're saying, understand what they're saying and try and provide sustainable solutions. And this has just been going on for years and years. And I thought, okay, this book will definitely help to address that issue. And it it has it was the hardest thing i've ever done but it was the most incredible process i am just i am just immensely inspired and motivated by the sheer volume of messages i've gotten from people all over the world now for real telling me about how it's helped them in some way or another and like i was saying to you before we started recording i really wanted everyone to have a pretty clear plan for how to address sort of phase one of your healing. Because I feel like healing comes in multiple phases. And phase one for me is exactly what I walk everyone through in the six-week protocol, which is you know 
getting your nutrition under control and balancing your blood sugar and looking at your liver detoxification and your gut health and your stress management and your sleep and your thyroid health. And those pillars are exactly what we all need to be are, you know, addressing or looking at when we're trying to figure out what's going on with our periods, because as you well know, hormones don't exist in a, in a vacuum. They are 100% affected by other hormones and, and what's going on with other systems in your body. Absolutely. And I think that that's a lot of what's missing from the whole fertility discussion is giving women the practical tools that they need to get their health under control from like that functional perspective. What are the foundations of health? What is everything else built off of when you look at a body and one that's supposed to be reproducing normally? And if it isn't, you know, what are some of those underlying driving factors that can manifest as fertility issues as opposed to just targeting the reproductive system or, you know, manipulating it with uh, synthetic hormones or going through the IVF process, which is amazing when it's needed. But a lot of times there's just that underlying rebalancing work that needs to be done. And I think that's what's missing in this fertility discussion. Oh, amen to that. Yes, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So let's jump into today's topic. I really wanted to center this episode around some common symptoms that pop up for women every month that I think a lot of us in the fertility world don't realize is an indicator that something might be off with hormones. Like we just, we take this whole period before period, period of time before we start our <laughs> menstrual cycles. And we just think like, Oh, it's normal to be like, super beastly in the mood department and, you know, frustrated and irritable or be super bloated or have breast tenderness or be in a ton of like pain when your cycle starts. And these things aren't normal. They're just common. Um, so let's kind of start off with the PMS and PMDD discussion. And the first thing I want to ask is to differentiate between those two things. Like what is PMS? How is that different from PMDD? Yes, absolutely. So PMS or premenstrual syndrome, in other countries, it's known as premenstrual tension or PMT. So this is basically a, a set of physical and psychological symptoms that show up around the second half of the menstrual cycle or the luteal phase, usually about three to seven days before your, uh, your period begins. So somewhere around there. Um, and then they'll go away when your period actually starts. And then with PMDD, this is a more severe uh, psychological or mood disorder. And it's characterized by pretty significant emotional symptoms that occur in the luteal phase as well. Um, but usually they'll show up much sooner. Oftentimes women will describe feeling symptoms starting right after ovulation begins. And then, then eventually it will taper off or the symptoms will taper off when you get your period. Yeah. And most of the women that I've seen in my practice that are struggling with PMDD, I mean, they describe it as very disruptive to their daily life, like barely functional in some cases. Yes. Oh my gosh. It is. It's like PMS, but on a much grander scale. And it actually is classified as a psychiatric disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is problematic in and of itself. And we can definitely talk about that, <laughs> but it really, you know, it, it is very much highlighted by uh, you know, more severe feelings that one would than you know one would experience during PMS. And so for PMS, we're talking about you know like 
bloating and fluid retention and lower back pain and sleep problems. So you'll notice maybe insomnia or excessive fatigue during the daytime, as well as headaches or migraines, um, breast tenderness, you know, lower libido, anxiety, irritability. You just feel annoyed by people, which I, I completely understand. And we should definitely talk about the overstimulation uh, that we all are exposed to on a regular basis too, that probably triggers a lot of these symptoms. But PMDD is a whole other story. You know, women who are experiencing this or menstruators who experience this are, uh, you know, dealing with all of those PMS symptoms, but they are literally living through what is like a premenstrual depression or, um, you know, a premenstrual uh, mini depression, I suppose you could say, that happens, you know, every single month usually and for weeks at a time sometimes. And there are feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness and major anxiety to the point where, you know, you might even feel suicidal. Um, as well as explosive anger, there are, you know, it creates major tension in your relationships and in fact can even ruin relationships. So this is definitely not something that we should be dismissing as normal ever. I agree. And I thought it was interesting, you know, you mentioned that it is considered a mental disorder and you discussed in your book about how classifying it as a mental disorder kind of over pathologizes it in a, in a way, but it, it takes something that is very uh, addressable from a women's health and hormones perspective, and it turns it into like a psychiatric issue that can only be dealt with with you know heavy drugs and some of the conventional treatments that we know can be um, pretty difficult. Yes, in mental health medicine. Yes, I completely agree. And I think what what really surprised me in doing the research for the book was that. That back in the early 2000s, the FDA in the U.S. had approved antidepressants to actually treat PMDD before it was even designated as a psychiatric condition. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> and so like we were just saying, you know, I, I there's no doubt in my mind that there are many, many women who are struggling with this and um, and are experiencing extreme symptoms. But I really think that we, more than anything, like with all of these other conditions that we're dealing with as well, we have to be in inquiry about why those are actually happening in the first place. Like what is going on there? And not be in that place of, oh, well, I'm just, you know, this is just my lot in life and I'm a victim of these symptoms or the, of my body and there's nothing I can do because literally these two conditions particularly are so driven by what is happening with our gut health and our liver's ability to detox and our the stress or the unmitigated stress in our lives our uh, lack of sleep or inability to sleep properly all of this stuff plays a huge role in how our body is going to respond in that second half of our cycle and so that's really for me it's a heads up that you're, you probably need to take a little bit better care of yourself or there, you know, there needs to be, uh, you need to be looking at something else going on with your health to try and figure out why you might be experiencing the symptoms you're experiencing because they're just not there for no reason. Yeah, it's so much more empowering to consider it from the perspective that we're discussing than it is to consider it a mental disorder that just like, sorry, like that's what you have. There's nothing we can do about it except for give you antidepressants and treat you with medication. Yeah, so, and send you on your way. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 
So let's talk about why we're discussing this whole topic of PMS and PMDD on a fertility podcast. We know that this is a common issue that many women and menstruating people deal with every single month. Um, but why is this so relevant to be talking about when we're discussing trying to conceive? You know, that's a great question because I really think that we have taken this, the conventional or traditional medical model and really run with it when it comes to our bodies. And we've sort of divided up parts of our bodies in a way that is not so conducive to our overall health in the sense that, you know, when we think we have something like, or when we have a condition like endometriosis, for instance, or we have PCOS and, or PMDD or whatever it is, heavy periods, fibroids, we are, we're going, first of all, we're going to different types of doctors. And secondly, we are traditionally told, or we've traditionally been told that one doesn't have to do with the other. I was just doing a, a series on Instagram about PMS and PMDD, which I'd mentioned to you funnily enough, and here we are talking about it. But the point is, is that one woman said to me, oh yeah, you know, what about PCOS and PMDD? Is there a connection? And I was like, of course there's a connection. And that what this is why I feel like we have to understand the underlying or root causes of all of these issues. And that was what I was saying before. The reason, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to write my book, Fix Your Period, was to really highlight the fact that everything is connected. All of your hormones are having conversations with each other via the, you know, the, the organs in, or the glands in the endocrine system. And if we are, you know, if we have one hormonal imbalance, it's likely that we have multiple hormonal imbalances. It's not like hormones are just, you know, doing their own thing and not having conversations with all these other parts of your body. So that's really what it comes down to is that if you have dysregulated blood sugar, for instance, you will likely have dysregulated insulin. If insulin is off, your cortisol is likely off. If your cortisol is off, your melatonin is probably not doing so great either. And all of those hormones affect your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, your key sex hormones that are basically going to dictate your menstrual cycle and how it works. So we have to look at this as a whole. And when we're talking about fertility, of course, all of this plays in too. I remember somebody saying to me once that she didn't, uh, she didn't understand why she'd have to deal with her period because all she wanted to do was get pregnant. <laughs> like, well, um, this is all connected. Just so you know, you know, optimal fertility is basically the same as having an optimally functioning menstrual cycle. Want, they're one and the same. And and so, yes, that's kind of scary for someone who might not want to be pregnant right now. Um, but the idea here is that if you have a great, you know, if you have a healthy menstrual cycle, then that means you are naturally fertile, generally speaking. So this is why I feel like we need to do a bit of a re-education of periods and fertility 101 for everyone, because we have been led to believe that all of this is, is separate. Yes. Absolutely. And it's very frustrating as a woman going through fertility struggles. I mean, I can relate because at the beginning of my journey, when my husband and I first trying to started trying to conceive, I was not educated at all about my body. I had not gone through my nutritional therapy training or any of the other functional medicine training that I have now. And it was just so frustrating to be in that situation and know that you had symptoms that were disruptive to you, but have really not a lot of understanding about how that might be connected to struggling to conceive. And the fact that all of our hormones are connected and that all of these underlying health 
related issues that we're talking about contribute significantly to the health of that menstrual cycle and thus to fertility potential. Oh yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that you just said that because that's, it, it just hits a nail on the head. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these main driving forces behind PMS and PMDD. We've been hinting at them so far. We've mentioned a few, mm-hmm. uh, but what are some of the big things that we need to be looking at if this is something that we're struggling with? You know, I think that we need to be, first of all, I should say that PMS and PMDD have different causes. And of course, PMDD is on a different level to PMS. So I think, you know, what's interesting is that when you look at the stats on, on these conditions and who all is struggling with them, uh, you know, that's like, it's one of the first things I, I like to highlight because essentially, you know, what the research says is about half of all women worldwide experience PMS symptoms. And there are quite a few studies that show that close to 100% really of women over 90%, they experience at least one PMS symptom each month. So this is the first thing that, you know, when you think about the the severity of, of a condition like PMS or PMDD, that is going to very much be dictated by what all is going on in your life. So are there nutrient deficiencies? Are, is your blood sugar stable or unstable? Are you drinking a lot of caffeine that is then impacting your cortisol levels and uh, you know, driving your mood disorders to be even worse? Um, are you sleeping or not sleeping? What's happening with your gut health? I feel like that's so critical. It seems to always come back to the gut. And, um, and of course, too, what's, you know, what's happening in your relationships and what's happening with your stress and your exercise and your liver? Is your liver working the way it's supposed to, to, to detox not only environmental toxins, but hormones that have been used up in your body and need to be sent out down the drain on their way? So there are all of these factors that play into it. And this is why I say, particularly with PMS, that depending on what's going on with all of those factors, you know, on a a more long-term basis, but also every month, because some months you might notice more PMS symptoms than others, or you might just feel more, feel the symptoms more severely. uh, That is going to determine what's happening for in your cycle, in each cycle. So these are, I think the main components. PMDD is a little bit different in that it is, you know, yes, there's, you know, it's driven by all of these factors. And these are the factors that, that cause the hormonal imbalances. Someone asked me a question the other day. They wanted, they wanted health advice, which I couldn't really give them because obviously we're on Instagram and, you know, I don't know their health history, but she was basically saying, well, she has a problem with hormones. And I was like, well, you may have a problem with hormones, but the hormones are just responding to the external or the internal stimuli. And so those are the things that you need to be working on to address the hormones. You can't really fix the hormones otherwise. That's not how they work. Uh, so that's really what it comes down to. It's like what is happening with your hormones as a result of all of these different factors. And then with PMDD, you know, all of those, I think personally, all of those factors play a role. However, there are, you know, there's, it's, you know, they're a little bit, it's a little bit more complicated than PMS in that, uh, you know, 
while there's inflammation, that's, that's a big part of any real health issue at this point, as far as I'm concerned in the modern world. Um, you know, and that, you know, is definitely driven by blood sugar imbalances, liver detoxification, uh, gut inflammation, um, stress, things like that. But there's also this allopregnenolone and GABA connection. And so for anyone who doesn't know what that is, basically, um, when you have you know, progesterone, your keep calm and carry on hormone, what happens when progesterone is made is that it causes this calming effect in the body, right? And so progesterone is made by the corpus luteum, this little follicle on, or what the follicle where your egg came out of on your ovary turns into. And so it has this amazing calming effect on our bodies in the luteal phase or that second half of our cycle. So it's actually converted into allopregnenolones. This is a, a neurosteroid or neurotransmitter. And this typically helps to soothe the GABA receptor in the brain, right? So progesterone turns into allopregnenolone. Allopregnenolone works on that GABA receptor in the brain and, and makes everything all nice and good. Um, for women who have PMDD, it seems that allopregnenolone doesn't quite work as it should. In fact, it may even aggravate the GABA receptors. And so instead of feeling a lot calmer because of that progesterone production, we, who, the women who have PMDD might feel extra moody and irritable and angry, and there might be outbursts and all the other symptoms that I was describing. So that I think is really interesting, um, an interesting aspect of all of this because you know, that I think is the difference between the PMS and the PMDD sufferers. I also think too, there's something with, and this is gut related and it comes back to histamine intolerance, but, um, and this is for anyone generally speaking, I think, uh, is that, you know, histamine intolerance basically is when um, we're making too many histamines or we're having a, a a reaction to them. And so histamines are compounds that are released by the immune system. And essentially they're made to help us deal with an allergic reaction. Like, you know, when we're allergic to grass or to dust or dander or whatever. Um, but it, it is interesting with PMDD because first of all, uh, histamine is um, a critical part of ovulation. So it circulates throughout our reproductive cycle during ovulation and then uh, more towards when we're getting our period. And so when we have a histamine intolerance, um, you, sometimes it's either histamine intolerance or mast cell activation syndrome. And that's like sort of the, the I don't know what's like the more advanced stage of histamine intolerance, so to speak. And so what happens is Histamine seems to affect the GABA receptors in the brain that I was just talking about. And this could be another reason that for the, for the outbursts that we experience or the symptoms, the severe symptoms of PMDD. I think too that that's, that plays a role in PMS symptoms too, but clearly it's, it's more problematic for someone who is experiencing PMDD symptoms. So I would say that, you know, if you have, in addition to, you know, the symptoms that you're experiencing with PMDD, do you have headaches or migraines around ovulation or just before your period? Do you have period pain? Do you have really painful breasts or sore breasts during the lead up to your period? Or do you have hives or itching? 
um, around ovulation time when estrogen is high or in the lead up to your period. So those are signs of, of histamine intolerance or histamine sensitivity. So those are two of the things I think of when I think of PMDD and the fact that I, you know, we, someone who has it might be, um, you know, might be experiencing some of these things. Yeah, definitely. Histamine is such an interesting topic. We actually had an entire podcast episode on this with Dr. Laura Bryden talking about histamine because it can cause so many interesting disruptions with women in particular, because we are so, we have these hormonal cycles that men don't have. And that fluctuation in estrogen has an impact on histamine as well. And I think that histamine is an interesting topic. I've dealt with this issue personally too. And it's something I I dig into on a regular basis. And I'm interested in some of like the, the new approaches that practitioners are taking to handling this with clients. It's very interesting. Yes, I completely agree. I'm fascinated by it endlessly, but I feel like, you know, it's one of those things that it seems different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive a little bit deeper into some of these underlying factors that we're discussing as driving forces behind PMS and more severely PMDD. So let's talk about blood sugar for a second. In the book, you talk about uh, kind of like our, our three tiers of hormones. And at the top of the tier, forgive me if I'm messing up the terminology, you can correct me in a second. Uh, but we have insulin and cortisol at like the top of everything, the mother hormones, the ones that impact everything else. And then the ones that we tend to focus on a lot in our menstrual cycles, like our estrogen and progesterone, those are like all the way down on tier three, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is not something that, that people typically um, would consider when they're looking at the menstrual cycle. They're like, oh, estrogen and progesterone, those are, you know, king and queen. So kind of explain a little bit about how blood sugar can impact these two important parent hormones. Obviously, I think most people are probably aware of the connection between blood sugar and insulin, maybe not so much on blood sugar and cortisol, and then the cortisol-insulin connection. Yeah, totally. So I put those hormones at the top because in all the years I've been doing this, I found over and over again that they seem to be at the root of, of basically all of our problems <laughs> in life. Yeah. So essentially, um, insulin is the blood sugar stabilizing hormone. It's released by the pancreas. When food gets into the body, it's converted to glucose. The pancreas releases insulin. It moves that, that glucose from the bloodstream into your cells and then we use it as energy. The, and ultimately what I see, and I'm sure you do over and over again in our modern world is that we are usually eating too many carbohydrates or not eating enough protein and fat with the carbohydrates that we are eating. And as a result, our body is producing too much insulin in response to the sugars that we're consuming. Um, and then ultimately what happens is we end up with high blood sugar because we're eating too much of it and high, high insulin because our pancreas is producing too much. And so what I found so fascinating was the connection between insulin and how your ovaries function. And so basically insulin uh, causes your ovaries to produce more testosterone um, and that is really problematic for your, uh, you know, for your whole menstrual cycle because this is a pretty tightly regulated process. So if your ovaries are responding to insulin in this way, uh, what's then happening is they might not be making enough estradiol, which is the hormone that's needed by your brain to get the message to, you know, send the right hormones to your ovaries so that that whole menstrual cycle, the monthly menstrual cycle can continue to 
work effectively and efficiently. And so when there is a disruption along the way, uh, our brain doesn't get the signal, then our ovaries don't get the signal, and things start to, to basically sputter. So we end up in a situation where we might have a delayed ovulation or our ovulation might not happen at all. And then as a result, we don't get a period. Or for some of us, we bleed for 14 days because we are now in an estrogen dominant situation where progesterone has not been made. So ultimately, uh, you know, it, it comes back to what you're eating and how it is that that is impacting your health really varies because for some of us, like I said, we end up in a situation where we're not getting a period at all and we're, you know, and then others, we just, we bleed endlessly. So that's where, you know, that cookie really is impacting your menstrual cycle and you have to start to think about how, um, you know, how to address that individually. Yeah. And then, you know, you get, you get into that situation where a lot of, a lot of women are on like just a roller coaster of their blood sugar every single day. And that puts us in a situation where it's messing with our HPA access function and our adrenal function and causing us to release more cortisol because cortisol jacks up our blood sugar when it gets too low and then we release more insulin. And so it ends up being kind of this vicious cycle and you can really see the manifestation of that in those, you know, tier three hormones, the ones that we really think of as ruling the roost on our menstrual cycle. Uh, but it is so interesting to see how much just the very basics of dietary approach have such a big, big impact on not just like how well our cycles are functioning, but how we feel throughout that whole period of time, especially in the luteal phase. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I completely agree. And that's the other thing that I find so interesting too, about the blood sugar component is that estrogen makes us a little bit more sensitive to to insulin which is kind of nice in that first half of our cycle in the lead up to ovulation you know we're producing a lot of estrogen or at least that little follicle on our ovaries or the follicles in our ovaries are producing estrogen so we're a little bit more sensitive to insulin what does that mean it means that we are able to tolerate more carbohydrates and you know possibly more sugar i mean you know i feel like i've tested this out on myself <laughs> many times <laughs> and you know i always encourage people to to pay attention to that how do you feel in that first half of your cycle when you eat more carbohydrates and versus in the second half of your cycle? And, and then in the second half, when progesterone is more dominant, we tend to not be as sensitive to insulin in that, that time frame. And I, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the book, and I've talked about this before too, where I find that so many of these quote-unquote PMS symptoms that we're experiencing are very similar to blood sugar dysregulation symptoms. And we all know what that feels like when your blood sugar is crashing. You're moody, you're impatient, you're hangry, <laughs> you're kind of pissed, um, everyone's annoying. And again, a lot of the emotional symptoms that we experience in the second half of our cycle are those. And so when I talk to, when I, or when I work with women, we work on the, uh, you know, the blood sugar stabilization portion of my program. And it is amazing. Within a month or two, virtually all of their PMS symptoms have disappeared or have significantly diminished. Yeah, definitely. It's so fun to see that with a 
fairly simple change compared to some of the other things that might be suggested in a conventional setting to, you know, quote, balance the cycle, which usually ends up being birth control or fertility drugs. It's like you can, you can actually change what you're eating and balance your blood sugar out and get uh, just as good of an effect, especially if you're in a situation, if a woman is in a situation where she's dealing with something more like PCOS and the only option given in that scenario is like ovulation inducing drugs and like metformin. Yeah, I know. It's super, I feel like that's super frustrating. And again, I get it. That's the way the system is set up, but there are, I mean, there are literally a plethora of things we can do to address our blood sugar. And I know that that's just never really the first line of defense and it should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a couple of other contributing factors that we've mentioned so far. And these next two are actually kind of connected. So I'll, I'll ask this question as, as both of them together, but what role do, what role does gut health and then also inflammation play in this whole hormonal dance and how can that contribute to a lot of the symptoms that we might be experiencing with PMS or PMDD? Yeah. Oh, I know it always comes out to the gut, like I was saying, and we know this and, um, and yet <laughs> for whatever reason, it just feels like it's so hard to address for so many women who I talk to. And so when we think about gut health issues, I think that we can talk about leaky gut. We can talk about, uh, gut dysbiosis, which is basically just an imbalance in your, in your gut bacteria. Leaky gut is when the lining of your gut has become too leaky because usually it is a little leaky just to allow nutrients to pass through. But when it becomes too leaky, then all kinds of things get through into our bloodstream, causing a lot of havoc on the other side of that. And so what I have found is that the inflammation that is triggered by leaky gut or, or gut dysbiosis is, you know, it's far reaching. And this is you know, hugely problematic for someone who is menstruating because our hormones are you know, extremely sensitive to that, that chronic type of inflammation that, we, that many of us are dealing with. And so what I find so fascinating about the gut is that it actually is a determinant for what's happening with the estrogen in your body. And so when we have... Uh, you know, this, when we have, first of all, I should say like when we are, you know, when we're cycling normally, whatever estrogen, you know, does its job in the body. And then uh, it's, you know, it's released by the ovaries and then travels through the body, does all the things it's supposed to do. And then it's used up and it's traveled. It then travels to the liver. The liver goes through the whole multi-step process of, of breaking it down. Um, into estrogen metabolites and then, you know, packages it up nicely and sends it off to your uh, digestive tract, your gut, in order for it to be further broken down and then removed from the body. So the problem is, is that we end up having a situation for a lot of us who have gut dysbiosis where our estrobilome, so this is a group of bacteria that breaks down estrogen when it enters the intestines, the, that bacteria in your estrobilome they produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And this beta-glucuronidase can actually return estrogen to its activated state. So if we have great healthy microbiome, the estrobilum bacteria, they break down that estrogen, and then the estrogen is disposed of down the drain. But when we have a compromised microbiome, this beneficial bacteria 
uh, can become potentially ineffective. And it allows the beta-glucuronidase bacteria or producing bacteria to dominate. And this would lead to a higher level of beta-glucuronidase, which reactivates too much of that estrogen that's come into your gut. And what then happens is that estrogen can travel back into your bloodstream and keep doing all the things it's been doing. So that's really unfortunate because we then end up in a situation where we are in an estrogen dominant state and that leads to all kinds of problems. And so we don't excrete these active estrogens. So they're just, they're back to work doing their thing and then they'll eventually make it back to the liver. But until we actually clean up our gut health, uh, you know, this is going to be a continual problem for us. And so I think that that is one of the main issues that I'm seeing in my clients um, nowadays. Definitely. And we know that PMS in particular, you know, we do have, we do see hormonal imbalances in the luteal phase that are driving that. And some of that may be uh, an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And this is certainly gut health is certainly one of the places that we could be looking for, uh, for that issue, for the root of that issue. I think it's interesting yeah. in my practice, it's still, diff even though I talk about this on the podcast all the time and I cover this with clients and like for some people, gut testing is like one of the first things that I recommend if we're going to do a functional uh, health assessment, we'll look at gut first in a lot of cases. And I think it's still hard to kind of make that connection between your gut health and your hormones, especially if you're not somebody who's experiencing a lot of digestive symptoms. And what I tell people is, you know, you might not have overt digestive symptoms. What you might experience are all of these systemic symptoms that we're talking about, either an inflammatory issue like joint pain or skin issues or really bad acne or, you know, eczema, something like that, that could be the primary sign that you have an issue with your gut is something inflammatory. Um, or it could just be the hormone imbalances that you're experiencing is the primary symptom. I mean, not everybody has to have terrible, awful problems with their gut health in order to have, um, you know, dysbiosis or leaky gut or something like that going on. Oh my gosh. Yes. I completely agree with you, Kristen. I actually had someone reach out to me recently and she said that she's never really had any gut health issues, but she hasn't had a period for a really long time and she didn't know what to do. And she had read that I'd written the book about celiac and it potentially, you know, causing you to lose your period. She cut out gluten and got her period back. And that was the only thing she did. So it, it really is amazing. And I, I completely agree with you that this is, this is definitely a phenomena that women are like, oh yeah, my gut's fine. And yet they still have these issues. So it certainly is um, reflective of the fact that you do not have to have overt gut health issues at all to, to know that there's a gut health issue happening. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And gut health is one big contributor to inflammation, but you know, we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the liver, at least for a second, and how important that is in modulating inflammation in the body, as well as getting rid of some of the things that we know can disrupt our hormones and potentially contribute to symptoms in that second half of the cycle as well. So just touch on the liver really quick and, and why it's so important to this whole picture of hormonal balance and PMS. Oh my gosh, I know. Our livers, our poor, overworked little workhorse livers, <laughs> we, don't, we don't give them enough love at all. And um, I think what's so cool about the livers, I, I love the fact that they have their own circulation system because what they're handling, <laughs> the toxins and the potential um, ingredients that they're handling on a daily basis 
are potentially you know so dangerous that they've got they got a, it's got its own system to to transport them because it could be harmful to us so i feel like that's really cool our bodies are so incredible and yet we are just like oh our liver no idea what that thing does but what's cool about your liver is it has two phases of detoxification and so what happens is um in the first phase or phase one we mostly neutralize uh, chemicals and hormones or toxins, whatever we're exposed to. And sometimes, um, in some cases, some of those things are actually uh, you know, more potent in that after that first phase than they might have been prior to that. And so it's important that when they are, you know, that phase one and phase two are working really well. And so when those, those substances move into phase two, they're further broken down. And of course, our, our livers need really specific nutrients. They need amino acids. They need a lot of water. They need certain vitamins like the B vitamins, for instance, and antioxidants. So when they have those raw materials, they're able to, or the liver is able to break down these substances into the correct forms that they're supposed to be in. And then of course they're moved through into the gut to be removed or to your urine to be removed that way or however. And so that's like what I find so interesting about the liver is that not only is it environmental toxins and things like that, but it's also your hormones. And I mean, they it breaks down all hormones, but estrogen seems to be one of these that I think is important to talk about because it's definitely very susceptible to what is going on with your liver and how well your liver is working. And so as I was saying before, estrogen is this hormone that you use it and then you, you get rid of it. And when it's done, um, it goes into the liver, it, it, does, it goes through phases one and two, and then goes on to phase three, which is the gut, and that's where it's supposed to be removed. And so we, in that phase one of liver detoxification, we have uh, your estrogen being broken down into three main metabolites. It's 2-OH, 4-OH, and 16-OH. And when these metabolites are you know, broken down here, they then move on to phase two uh, for further uh, breakdown. And then, you know, like I said, the packaging up to send to uh, your gut. But when we don't have the correct nutrients to support that phase, there's a bit of a backup. And um, from phase one, what can happen is uh, those metabolites can essentially just go back into the bloodstream if phase two isn't working efficiently. And then we run into major problems. And so we, in you know, the 2-OH, 4-OH, and 16-OH are really interesting because you know one is more or some are more potent than the others and we oftentimes refer to 4-OH and 16-OH as these bad estrogens but they're not really bad they're just potentially problematic one 16-OH can be uh, or sorry 4-OH can tend to be um, you know, more cancer causing, whereas 16-OH is like the proliferative one where, you know, we might have, if we have high 16-OH, for instance, we might have a lot of breast pain or bloating or a period pain when we get our periods um, or heavy periods. And then with 4-OH, you know, we might be more prone to developing uh, different cancers. So it's really important for us to understand that, again, all of these systems are connected to all the other systems. And if one, one part of it isn't working, it will certainly have a, a ripple effect on the other parts, like this liver detoxification system, for instance. And so when estrogen is passing through phases one and two, 
and getting into the gut, then it's going to, it's going to just be removed if you have consistent bowel movements. But if you're constipated, then like I was saying before, it can be recirculated. So this is why it's this whole body process that we need to be engaged in when we are trying to address hormonal imbalances, period problems, and fertility issues. It does not matter what we have going on. We have to be so cognizant of the fact that if your liver isn't working great, uh, this, the, the rest of the system won't work. So if phase one doesn't work properly, phase two won't work, phase three won't work. And then if your digestive function isn't working, for instance, you have you know, low stomach acid or you have a bacterial overgrowth, something like SIBO or whatever, uh, you're going to, you know, that's going to be problematic down the line. It's going to be problematic for your pancreas producing insulin. It's going to be problematic for your liver breaking down hormones and other substances. And, and then all of that is ultimately going to have an impact on other endocrine uh, glands like your thyroid uh, your adrenals, your um, pineal gland, which produces melatonin. And, you know, I could go on and on, but yeah. And of course your ovaries too, because your ovaries are so susceptible to inflammation. Anyways, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was honestly, I appreciate how much detail you're going into about explaining all of these interconnections, whether people understand every single thing that we're talking about or not, just from listening to the podcast episode. I think the important thing to understand is that everything is interconnected and that it's not it's not just as simple as focusing on one body system and fixing everything that's going on with hormones. And that might seem a little bit overwhelming to some people, but there are so many great resources out there that can walk you through it. And your book is definitely one of those that can help walk through each of those areas that need to be focused on and figure out a plan on how to bring all of that stuff together into like one set of steps that they can follow to help improve this whole hormonal picture, as well as just their overall health and how they feel on a daily basis, even outside of their luteal phase. Right. I know. I completely agree with you. And I think that that's something that's just often overlooked. And when we're thinking about how our gut is connected to our brains and our mood. And again, you just kind of think, oh, well, you know, I'm just having a bad day, but so much of what is going on in your gut and if there is gut inflammation, uh, that is essentially traveling on the gut brain axis, which is basically a highway between the two, you know, between your gut and your brain. And if there are, you know, if there's gut inflammation, there's guaranteed to be brain inflammation. And that vagus nerve, which runs from the brain to the digestive system, it facilitates that communication between the two systems. And there is interesting research, it's very preliminary, and I was talking about this in the book too, about the connection between PMS and PMDD and gut inflammation. And, you know, there's well-established research between your gut being inflamed and brain inflammation and, and mood disorders. So it makes sense that PMDD would potentially be connected too. So this evidence showed that their PMS and PMDD are associated with reduced vagus nerve function. And um, essentially what that means is we need to be taking care of our nervous system and managing the stress in our lives in the best way we possibly can to support uh, vagus nerve functioning so that ultimately we can start to feel better in, the, in that second half of our cycles. Yeah. And taking care of the gut to make sure that the communication coming back that direction isn't inflammatory. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. I've just thrown a bucket full of things for everyone to do. Now you guys have to go do it. <laughs> Well, so that's exactly what is, what is great about the book. And that's 
a great starting point. If you are curious about how to address a lot of these things and you want some DIY, definitely grab a copy of Nicole's book uh, and start looking into that and investigating some of these things for yourself. And I think it's a lot easier when you have the opportunity to read this information and really consider your own personal situation because you, you know your body better than anyone. Even working with a practitioner, you're going to know your body better than the person that is helping you. And so having the opportunity to review the information and apply that to yourself based on what you know about your body is, is just such an amazing and valuable process. And I encourage everyone to do that. Amen. I agree. I do too. And I, I want to just say that as well too, just to build on what you said, that we know our bodies way better than we actually have been led to believe. And I feel like from the time we're so young, we're, we go to the doctor and the doctor is supposed to fix whatever issue we have. And that works great when we're kids and we have a one-off thing. But as we get older, issues or conditions become more chronic and they become more problematic. And we still are of that belief that the doctor is going to fix us. And I think that we have to step back into that power role, the CEO of our bodies. We know what's going on with our bodies and we have to trust that instinct and that in, and our body's wisdom. And we've just, we're so far removed from that. And I, I feel like if there's anything I could I'd offer anyone, it's that you have to tune back into what's happening with your own body, with your menstrual cycle, with your, your period, generally speaking, and, um, and just really get to know what the signs and symptoms are, what's normal for you, what's not, so that someone else is not telling you what's normal. Absolutely. So at what point do you recommend somebody bring a practitioner on board? If they're going through, you know, they're reading the book, they're going through the process, they're, you know, taking the steps to work on their gut health and their liver and their blood sugar balance and inflammation, and they still feel like they're struggling. At what point do you recommend bringing somebody else on board? For additional testing and support. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot we can do on our own, of course, but I really think that, you know, sooner rather than later, especially if you are trying to get pregnant, for instance, and maybe you're older uh, and you don't feel like you have a lot of time. I feel like in that situation, you'd want to do it relatively soon. And so I say that, you know, first of all, when someone has maybe come off of the pill, for instance, and they've been on it for whatever, 10 years, or, you know, they've been, they've just discovered my work or your work or whatever. I say, you know, just give yourself about a month to two months for every year that you've been dealing with these issues or for every year that you've been on the pill or something like that. So give yourself a little bit of time because obviously it took a lot of time to get to this point. Uh, but also too know that there are practitioners who can be extremely helpful. They can do testing and uh, you could go to an acupuncturist if that was something that you felt called to do, or you could work with a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist or a health coach of some kind, just to really help you hone in on what, what works and what doesn't work. Because what I found for myself, especially back in the day, I was just kind of feeling around in the dark, didn't have any idea what the hell I was doing. And I, you know, I experimented for years, whereas I could have hired someone who could have really guided me and helped me understand uh, what testing to get and my test results. Rather, I made it hard for myself and just did it all on my own <laughs> at the time. Yeah. So I really do think that you know, a couple months in, if you are, you know, or maybe three months, I'd say, if you have done a lot of the things and you're still experiencing pretty severe symptoms, definitely start to work with someone. Yeah. 
So share a little bit more about where listeners can learn more from you about your practice um, and anything else you'd like them to know about you. Yes, of course. So you can find me at NicoleJardim.com. I have a blog and uh, programs on there. You can take my period quiz there. Um, you can also find my book at fixyourperiod.com. I have a, an exhaustive list of places where you can purchase it, not only in the US and Canada, but in, in many other countries as well. And I also am on Instagram mostly. It's Instagram, uh, or sorry, my username on Instagram is Nicole M. like Madeline Jardim. Perfect. Well, we will have links to all of those resources in the show notes for the episode. So let's close by just having you offer whatever pearls of wisdom or pieces of advice you have to offer for women who might be struggling with their fertility. Yeah, you know, similar to what I was just saying, that we as a whole have been taught to distrust our bodies, whereas I think that we need to engage in a practice of learning to trust them again and trust in that innate body wisdom like I was describing before. Because ultimately, if we don't know or if we don't really understand our own menstrual cycles and ultimately our fertility, uh, no one else is going to the way we are. And so I think that in order for us to become empowered on this journey, as we are navigating fertility struggles or any other condition, really, we have to know what, what's normal, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, and be able to advocate for ourselves. And when we have that deep understanding of what is happening with our cycles in particular, we, are, we, we become strong advocates for ourselves and we know what, uh, what to ask for and how to have these educated conversations with our doctors rather than feeling like, oh, someone's telling us what to do over and over again. And maybe that doesn't feel right. It's just, I think it's a very disempowering place for us to be in. And so I'm a huge proponent of uh, tracking our cycles, becoming very aware of our unique menstrual cycles. And again, you know, what is, what's normal, what's not. And then that way you can, you can really do so, so much from there. When you have that, that deep knowing and understanding of, of how your menstrual cycle and your body works, you're able to, to make informed decisions from there. Thank you so much for that. I completely agree. I think that's a message that has been shared on the podcast many times from practitioners who really want all of us to understand that, that we have so much more power than, than we think we do. But it's, it's a message that bears repeating over and over again, because I think it's something that we forget, uh, especially when we're working, I think with fertility, when we're working in more of a conventional medical setting where I think we sort of approach the doctor's word as like, this is what it is. This is, this is my diagnosis. This is what's up with my body. And the lack of that underlying investigation, um, I think that that does us a disservice when we just like take the word of someone else about what's happening with our body and we don't advocate and we don't research and we don't look deeper. I know. Question everything. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for that. And for this entire interview, I can't wait to share this. Uh, this was such an awesome discussion. I really appreciate your knowledge and expertise and the book and just thank you so much for your work. Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for having me on. I really love chatting with you this today. It was so great.